We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 116. Our guest today has a huge passion for horses, and her family shares the love also, so she made it a huge mission in life to make sure that horses were a big part of it. With some really hard work and great business sense, our guest made this magic happen, and so I would love for you to get some advice from our guest today. So without further ado, here is owner of William Grace, Carrie Charbo. I would love to hear about how you first got into the equestrian world. Well, that that's going to date me. I was uh, a little girl here in South Florida, and uh, my parents had enrolled me and my sister in a Western riding camp. And uh, I think that's where I first fell in love with all things horses and riding and everything equestrian uh, lifestyle. Amazing. How did that kind of transition into you know, the hunter-jumper world and that discipline? How did you navigate to that area? You know, that didn't come until a lot later. I always wished that I could ride regularly. That just wasn't in the cards for me as a child with our family. You know, as you and I both know now, it's a very expensive sport. Totally. Um, and it takes a lot of commitment. And it's it's a family commitment when your children are involved. So I always had odd jobs here and there that would allow me to ride, but nothing regularly. And as an adult, I thought this is something I really want to pursue again. So when I was in Chicago, Illinois, a couple of girlfriends said, come join us us, come ride with us. And we went out to a barn and I started taking lessons again as an adult. And I brought my children out to the barn because it was just so fabulous. And they of course fell in love with the sport and both started taking lessons and fell in love and wanted to compete right away. So that's how, that's how we as a family made our way into the hunter jumper world. Amazing. So as you touched on, I mean, obviously a big part of being in this sport is having that, you know, the backing, the financial backing, the the time that there's so many commitments involved to, you know, doing this sport. And especially if you're going to do it at the level that, that you're doing it, that your girls are doing it with traveling and, and showing at the top level, what kind of I guess, what kind of transition or what kind of steps did you put in place for yourself and your family to make that kind of dream a reality? Well, and I want to clarify, I have a daughter and a son. (laughs) He would not forgive me if I didn't say that. Does he ride also? He he rode and he was committed and he actually won 2019 horse of the year. And I feel, I felt like he checked that box and he hung up his boots, which made Uh me very sad. And now he's totally committed to boxing. So nice. um, Yes. I think he's just making his way around the sporting circuit. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, I think that we just said, if this is something you want to do, whether you're having a good day or a bad day or you're tired or not, you go to the barn it's like with any commitment that you make, you sign up, whether it's tough or easy, right? And we still mm-hmm. have those conversations. You know, my daughter sometimes will think she is not having a great lesson, but you ride the horse you have that day. Right. And so I think that 
no matter how you're feeling, you give it your all. And nobody's, no horse is perfect. No body is perfect. No ride is, is ever absolutely 110% perfect, but you just keep trying. And I think what I love about this sport is that all of the lessons that you learn in the arena, in the barn with your trainer and about yourself, it transitions and translates to life. And I think it really teaches you who you are. It teaches you about a lot about yourself and about your strength and your courage and your resilience and your grit. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are lessons that are going to be with her for, and, and all of those in this sport through high school, college, the workforce, family. So I realized that, and my husband realizes that, and um, because of those lessons and because of uh, everything that she ha- is able to learn and, and will learn, we support this sport wholly. Hmm. That's a really good point. It's a really great perspective. And it's encouraging to hear that there are definitely like de- definitely benefits besides ribbons and, you know, going to going to travel and do your sport but so many lasting benefits that i mean i know for me like growing up in the horse world i definitely use the determination and the goal setting and the work ethic to my day-to-day life today so it's it's really cool to hear that that really has become a universal thing when you think of horse people. As far as your life and kind of your transitioning from riding yourself to being, you know, a pony kid mom and beyond, how was that transition for you once you guys started traveling? You you did the Winter Equestrian Festival. What was that kind of transition like? And then tell me how that segued into starting William Grace. Well, the first year of, of WEF was completely overwhelming. And mm. our trainer at the time had likened it to her Disney World. And it was, I mean, it was just <laughs> this fun ride, you know. Uh, this is pre COVID, obviously. It was just, it was fun to see our little kids doing cross rails and cheering them on and seeing all of their hard work pay off and the right. ribbons and the ponies and all that. And so my first year, my husband and I were just taking it all in and assessing and figuring out if we were going to continue and be back. And of course we were. And there was just so much time spent down here that I was putting my thinking cap on, I guess, in the early days, like just getting your child outfitted <laughs> as right. a new equestrian mother was challenging. And, and so I, I was trying to think of ways that I could contribute to the sport and ways that I could help it be easier for other mothers or you know, what could I do? And I think that my ideas evolved over the course of a couple of years. And I thought that there were plenty of, there's plenty of clothing options. You know, there are helmets out there and there are show jackets and all that kind of thing. But the one item that I saw missing was the gift giving element or home decor or, you know, just little luxury items, daily accessories, things that people might like to just shop for. Mm -hmm. And what I really liken it to is, yes, these are items for the equestrian, but they're also items for the enthusiast. You know, you have a huge on non-COVID years, people who just come to the show to watch. I mean, this is 
such a beautiful, fantastic venue. And, you know, people really just love to come see the sport in action. And then they love to come and shop and walk around and see things that are pleasing to the eye and things that they can actually use in their home, whether they are a rider, a hunter jumper or not. So that was my inspiration behind William Grace. You know, we're an American lifestyle, heavily equestrian influenced brand. And so that is how I started the brand and, and I bring products in that I think have a timeless classic elegance to them, but that yet are also affordable, especially when COVID hit. I was really sensitive to how I priced the items. I want these, every item that we bring in is high quality. The majority of the items are made in the USA. The majority are hand um, carved or handmade. So I'm really sensitive to, to that, that all of the materials are, are, you know, sourced, ethically sourced and, and, you know, just all of the things that people are on everybody's radar, you know, mm-hmm. like we launched our, our very first uh, line of cashmere and, you know, this is sustainable fashion. This is what we all um, are looking for in the future. You know, we are home. We want to be comfortable. We want clothes that last. We want clothes that are, you know, safe for the environment. So this is, this is where I'm taking the brand. You know, we want things that, that are going to be with us for, for a while. It's not forever. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love your, your cashmere hoodie. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need that in like every color of the rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) I have to admit, you don't Uh, want to take it off once you put it on. So cool. So as you had the idea to get started and from maybe doing your own shopping around WEF and and deciding maybe where there was uh, a need, you know, to start William Grace, how did you go from the idea to like creating your brand and starting to, you know, figure out what products you're going to do to then, okay, I'm going to have a booth in Wellington or I'm going to, you know, be a sponsor of a huge prestigious horse show. Like how did you, what are the stepping stones that got you to those points? Well, I think the question is twofold and this is where I might put on my entrepreneurial hat and give some advice to your listeners who, because it doesn't happen overnight. And I think as an entrepreneur, Everybody wants, especially in this day and age of immediacy and instant gratification, it is normal to want things right away. Mm-hmm. But somebody said this to me, another female entrepreneur said with her company, she said, I'm enjoying the process. And I thought that made me pause for a moment. And I thought, oh, that sounds very uncomfortable to me. I want overnight success. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But then I thought, you know what? There is something to be enjoyed. You know, my husband and I had another startup years ago, and part of the fun in retelling some of those early stories is that we did enjoy that process. As painful as growth can be, or as hard as growth can be, especially in a pandemic, those are the those are the things that you look back on and you will remember. And that is your grit, and that is your resilience, and that is your determination. So, you know, our very first product out of the gate was the essential clutch because I went back to my wheelhouse and that's what I knew. I knew how to create this product and what made sense then, you know, so you have a leather clutch and I was looking at expanding the line, but what was easy to put with the clutch were other accessories, you know, 
jewelry was very easy and that made sense. And the line grew from there for what made sense on how to put things together. Mm -hmm. But what didn't make sense was the global pandemic. (laughs) And so in March of 2020, what happened was I was visiting my father. I had driven from Atlanta, Georgia to Cleveland, Ohio, and he is a cancer patient. And luckily he had a KN95 mask that I could wear upon visiting him. And I went for his birthday. Mm. And my cousin, who's a news anchor in Cleveland, was just that afternoon announcing that the CDC was going to make it mandatory that all Americans wear masks. And we were already so short on all of these supplies that I just wondered how we were going to pull this off as a country. Right. So knowing that I had access to the factories, I immediately got on the horn and was inquiring. Um, And I wanted to do my part to help and figure out how I could contribute to slowing the spread. Mm -hmm. And so we we designed two different masks in two different factories. And I didn't hesitate. I just went ahead and went right to manufacturing. And I realize that there are people out there who are not fans of manufacturing outside of the country, but we didn't have a choice because mm-hmm. we didn't have sewing machines in the USA. And so politics aside, again, we, Im- we imported several thousand masks and you know we, we wholesale these products. The wholesale side of our business is actually very robust. And um, we can supply them to major companies. We can supply them to boutiques. We can supply them to, you know, restaurants and hotels and as well as the general public. And we we did that very quickly. And so, and for every mask we make, it was very important to me that we donate a mask as well. And I feel really proud of our ability to be able to make a mask that is antibacterial, antiviral, antimicrobial. So it really protects the wearer against germs. I mean, nothing's going to protect you against COVID, right? but it protects you against your own germs. And it's a, it's a great product. It withstands our essential mask withstands germs up to 50 plus washings. So, you know, they wear well. I mean, I have not bought another mask. Yeah. (laughs) So, and then on the flip side, we've been able to provide masks to the National Horse Show, which was a huge honor for us this past October. They're sold at Tryon International Equestrian Center up in Tryon, North Carolina. So, you know, we, we feel very proud of our contribution. Yeah, absolutely. How did you get to that point where having thousands and thousands of masks and then creating a plan for them, one being like we're talking before about how I'm like, I remember seeing your masks, you know, by the in gate and out gate of the national. And I'm like, I remember seeing your little logo. And I think the one that I had was brown. It was so cool. So chic. I loved it. And like, how did, how did you get to that point where, I mean, cause you're a relatively newer brand and, you know, having opportunities to be a part of such a prestigious and such a well-known horse show is really cool. So how, how is that process for you? You know, I feel like the equestrian community is so wonderful and so supportive. Mm-hmm. And there were people with inside this community who took notice and who connected me with Jennifer Berger, who's the president, the new incoming president this year of the National Horse Show. She was a fan of our brand right away and we had meetings with her and and she ended up becoming 
our, one of our ambassadors, our brand ambassadors. Nice. So it's just, I feel again, so, so much gratitude for this community of people, because I feel like they, we all look out for each other and we look out for our own. And I think, you know, this is not an easy sport to be uh, a part of. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of hard work. (laughs) You know, again, not every day is easy and there's not a huge reward in it. Right. And I think we all, we all know that. So we celebrate the, the good days. And it was so nice. Jennifer was so kind and she was so gracious. And when she offered me this opportunity, I jumped at it because it's so important to keep this sport alive and going. I mean, you know, the animals are the athletes as well. And we all need to keep this, keep this sport alive during this pandemic. Okay, I have the perfect small business for you to support this year, and that is our sponsor today, Christian Lowe Leather Care. Christian has been working with some of the top saddle makers and leather workers in the equestrian space for some time now, and he truly understands the importance of protecting and moisturizing your saddle and your other leather products to really have them withstand everything we do as equestrians. So he has created his own line of leather care products, balms, oils, soaps, to do just that. Everything is created in small batches and created by him. So it is just an incredible business I would love for you to check out. Make sure you head over to his website at christianlow.ca. That's christianlowe.ca. You can also find his products over at greenhawk.com, as well as many independent retailers across Canada. So make sure you go check it out. Thank you so much, Christian Low Leather Care. All right, let's head back to the episode. What are some of the goals that you have for your family, but then also for William Grace as you're entering this new year, new season of life and, and all the kind of transitions that came last year? Well, this is an exciting year for my daughter uh, because she is transitioning from ponies to horses. Wow. So she's going to be entering the low children's hunter and she's going to be doing the 12 to 14 equitation. So that's exciting for her. And she just keeps saying, I just want to jump bigger. Oh. (laughs) And so that'll be fun to watch her grow and meet her new challenges and her new goals. And then I think, you know, for the brand, and we are branching out into more home decor. We're bringing some beautiful fabrics in from Europe and we're bringing in some wall coverings and some rugs and you know just some other things that we've been working on and we are just excited to to show these items off and get them in front of people. I think the challenge is how can we do that safely? Mm-hmm. And so we've been working on creative ways to to get in front of people through the horse show. And we're talking about doing some pop-up shops, possibly in Palm Beach with some hotels. But again, you know, having product out that people can still touch and feel, but do it in a safe way. They can do it you know, safely distanced from one another, because we still, we need, we need this. We all need to still socialize and we all still need some fun built into our life. We just have to learn to do it in an appropriate way. 
Right. Definitely. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what will it look like for William Grace as far as will you have a booth at the horse show? Are they even doing booths at the horse show this year? You mentioned pop-up shops. What will that kind of look like? You know, we are, Bethany, that's a great question. And we are still waiting to see that. We have chosen not to entertain that in the beginning. You know, I I am still a mom. I'm a working mom. And as I mentioned, my son doesn't participate in the sport. So I am family first and a booth would take up a a lot of time. So I think that what I've understood with WEF is they really do not want spectators there. They want you there if you're a competitor only. And so we just want to see if we can do some trunk shows and we'll be posting a lot too. We will be, we'll be out and about in the community. So I will, I'll make sure that we stay connected so that you can get the, that information out to your viewers. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, all of our products are on our website at william-grace.com. I would love to have a little bit of a presence at WEF if all of this can die down and if they can safely manage the show. Mm-hmm. I think that's what everyone's wondering, how, right. how it's going to look. And I think we'll have more information after weeks one, two, and three. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely uh, time will tell. We'll see how well, now that everyone's making their way down there and settling in and getting ready for circuit, that will definitely be, I think, a big decision within the first couple of weeks. And a lot of people will have more of an idea for sure. As far as being a mom of uh, a young equestrian, what would you say are some highlights and some challenges that you face in that dynamic? I'm going to start with the challenges first. I think kids these days, oh God, I sounded like such a (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so hard to see such wonderful children be so hard on themselves. And that is the challenge because when, what I, what I say to my daughter is you're healthy, you're vibrant, you're strong, you command, you know, such presence on, on these animals. And, you know, then for her to beat herself up after a lesson, when all I hear is positive from her her coach, right. Mm -hmm. Or trainer, or, you know, if there's like, if she is having a bad day, you know, she'll, she'll beat herself up. And so it's, I think she's really gotten better with that, which is also another thing I love about the sport because she can take that tough criticism and she knows when she's messed up. Right. But, you know, I, I wish that these kids would be kinder to themselves. I wish they wouldn't be so hard on themselves. I wish that they would find ways to really love it. So where we are, there's this beautiful trail, this beautiful track around this lake. And so many riders get to take advantage of just galloping, cantering, whatever they want to do, hacking however they want to around this lake that's a mile long. And I love that. I love that freedom for for the kids and and the other riders, as a matter of fact. So that's been pleasant. And then I think you you asked when I was proud. Mm -hmm. I'm always proud when she loses with grace. Yeah. And I'm always proud. Probably two years ago, she, my daughter came to me after, I think she maybe placed seventh or eighth. I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. But she said, you know what, mom? I'm so proud of the way I rode today. And that's what it's about. It's not about counting that ribbon. And it's not about placing, you know, blue or red or first or second. It's, It's about really being proud of yourself in the moment. 
And so that's when I'm most proud of her is when she's most proud of herself, regardless of what anyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what this is all about. Right. Right. Going back to your, your challenge. I mean, I feel like that is such a common thread among so many riders and competitors. Where do you think, where do you think that comes from? I mean, I know that you see it in other sports, but I feel like especially in the equestrian world that you are your toughest critic rings so true in the equestrian world. Where, where do you think that that stems from? That's such an interesting question. You know, I, I don't know if, if we just think that everyone else doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> if we just, you know, see greatness in everyone else and failure in our in ourselves. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I myself always try to point out my faults and flaws and when I fail and I try to be self-deprecating. I mean, life's more fun that way, I I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't get to where I am by being perfect. 110% of every day. Yeah. You know, we, we learn the most by making our mistakes. We learn from our mistakes. That's how right. we grow. Right. So I think she handles it pretty well. I just, I think just during this, this time with this pandemic, I would just love to see everyone be kinder to themselves and gentler on themselves. And, and that voice inside your head is so powerful. So mm-hmm. we need to be sending ourselves, you know, messages of, of kindness and support and not be so tough because this past year, almost year has been so incredibly challenging for everyone. So if you're thinking of starting your own business or if you're, you know, venturing into WEF or whatever your goals are or your objectives are, you know, just start out small and make them attainable and, and really just try to put any sort of silver lining on around them mm-hmm. because you've just been through something incredibly difficult. All of us have. Right. Yeah. I think that's an amazing point. Very, very timely advice. And I think that uh, a really big part of enjoying something, whether it is, you know, a new business venture or, you know, riding or showing, it really starts, you know, like sucking the fun out of everything. If you do have that kind of mentality that, okay, unless it's perfection, I am a total failure. And it it is like you were saying, it's so easy for many people to get that way in a sport that is, you know, judged off of deducting points for every little failure that comes in a, in a trip, you know? So it's definitely easy, I think, for a lot of people to get to that, that kind of mentality. But in the end, I really do feel like for a lot of people that starts etching away at the, at the really true desire of why we all started riding and wanted to be around horses in the first place, you know, for the love of the animals and the love of the companionship and the sport and the competition. And I think same with having a business and having, you know, a vision or a passion towards something. The second we are not being realistic with ourselves and being too hard on ourselves, I really feel like that that love and passion that is really at the core of why we started starts going away. So I think having uh, that mindset of why we started and why we love it is definitely something that will take us farther than the alternative. I mean, let's celebrate the fact that you get to get on an animal, right? Let's celebrate the fact that you can go over a jump. Let's celebrate that you have enough stamina to jump a course. You know, I'm amazed anytime I see any of these riders, I'm amazed that I, 
get to see their determination and that they do it week after week. You know, if you are starting your own business, good for you. Most people don't have that vision to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, the best thing that you can do what with any business in any sport is, is to just keep trying. And I know it sounds trite, but again, I go back to what I said at the beginning of the call, Rome was not built in a night. Yeah. And, you know, most businesses don't make it a year. So if you've been in business over a year, raise your hand, throw it over your shoulder and give yourself a pat. Yeah. Because it, especially if you started this last year, it's, it's very challenging. And, you know, I, I've seen that you in the past have interviewed really wonderful people. And you've blogged about some incredible folks. I mean, BZ Madden didn't go to the Olympics until she was how old? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like in her forties. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it, we have to look at those people who are, you know, stars in our sport and look at their path. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my daughter's not going to the Olympics next year. So I, <laughs> I try to remind her of that. And, right. and again, I think because she started this sport when she was younger, I, I think that she gets maybe upset right after, but in 10, 15, 20 more minutes, she lets it go, which yeah. I, that's what I'm really proud of her for. Yep. And the same in business, you know, you, you just have to, you have to learn to problem solve. So if something didn't work out that day, you have to think, okay, well, how can I do better? Because, you know, is it, what do they say? The definition of, of stupid is, is trying the same thing over and over again, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. And expecting a different result. Expecting a different outcome. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, there are, sometimes you just have to step back and maybe rethink it or go a little slower to move faster. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not getting the desired outcome that you want, you have to try something different. And I would say that's the same in the sporting world mm -hmm. in show jumping. And that's the same in business. And, you know, we've definitely COVID for us has been, William Grace has been a blessing in disguise, not the, not the disease itself or right. the, the um, virus, but the time, because it has allowed us to make some thoughtful decisions instead of rushing. Sure. And that's been a positive lesson for me because I am someone, I mean, I have two speeds fast and faster and <laughs> me too. I'm not a patient person, but what it's taught me is to slow down a little bit and catch my breath and then say, okay, well, I might've done that had it not been the pandemic and had I not had the luxury of time. But now since I do, I'm making these different decisions and these more thoughtful decisions. And maybe I'm not pushing forward with the same people I would have, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've had to make some changes in, in staff and, and that's worked out better too. So everything happens for a reason. And we don't always know the reason at the time, but what time has taught me is that there is someone looking out for you, mm -hmm. you know, and or if you don't believe in a higher power, you know, there is, there's always things happen for a reason is what I want to say. Mm -hmm. And I really do believe that. And we don't always know the reason at the time, but then when you look back, you'll say, that's why I didn't understand it. And that was so hard. That period of my life was so hard, mm -hmm. but now I understand it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
That's a really good point. Going back because I thought of a like specific business question for you for any of our entrepreneur listeners. At what point in time did you feel like you either personally or your businesses were ready for you to start outsourcing and delegating and hiring a team under you for anyone kind of struggling, you know, building your own business or even if you did it last year during the pandemic and you're ready to grow and expand and scared to take that next step? What would be the advice that you would have for that person? On the first day? (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good question. The first company that we started was, it was my husband and I and another couple. You know, we all had different backgrounds. Mine was in, I was a TV news anchor and reporter. So I dealt with like communications, PR and marketing. It's, it's interesting. It depends on what your wheelhouse is. And if you don't have a partner, like I see a lot of women on Instagram starting um, with a partner. I see a lot of husband and wife teams or a lot of couples starting a business together. If you like a, a wonderful young woman who I had interning for me, she started her own earring business, but she's the artist, right? So she didn't need a partner mm-hmm. she's doing her own Etsy shop. So a lot of people, if they have a partner, they can feed off of one another. And I feel like that's really important because that keeps you motivated and it helps keep you accountable. Right. If it's just you, it's a little bit more challenging unless you're like the woman who was our intern where she she is the artist and doing everything on her own. I think you need to surround yourself with people who are truly supportive of you, mm-hmm. who have knowledge and who, who are where you want to be. Right. And so I've even had other friends who are very accomplished women, you know, Ivy league grads who've said, will you be on my board? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I'll be on your board. Absolutely, I'll help you. Absolutely, I'll tell you, you know, everything that I know in the best way that I can. Absolutely, I'll refer people to you. I have a consulting business, Charbo and Co. on the side where we help people and consult for other other businesses and brands and we do startup work. Nice. For them because it really is challenging. It really is difficult. So, you know, we are helping a Yale professor with a design of hers that she wants to launch. You know, we help other, it's usually creative types that really get stuck in kind of the Mm minutiae. You know, there is like the paperwork to be filed. There's the tech component. There's a legal component. There's sourcing. So I think if you want to maintain sole proprietorship, role and you want to be CEO and founder of your company, you can do it, I think, for a period of time. I think you should spend maybe six months to a year doing it on your own. Yeah. Um, and then just talking to a lot of people and sourcing and and having your ideas roll in. And then I think, you know, that helps you save money from a financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then maybe look at bringing on some other folks. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great point. And I think advice that I had been given when I was first starting that transition was to make a task list of all of the things that you need to do to keep your business running and thriving and growing. And then then make a list of the things that you absolutely love to do and need to do for yourself. And then maybe the other things that you don't necessarily love to do or that you could maybe get away with 
having someone who could do it better do instead of you. I feel like that is something that is super scary for, it was for me, it was, I'm sure for a lot of other people, the different people that we work with, with the equestrian workshop that my partner and I have together. And mm-hmm. so that's like such a huge transition for your business, but I, it's like, it's so freeing because then you can really focus on either the big picture stuff or the stuff that you really enjoy or, you know, that kind of, again, like circling back to what we were talking about in the beginning with, with riding and with starting a business, going back to the core of why you started it and to keep that kind of love and passion revved up and going to continue on. Yes. I mean, you, you, only, you know, the vision for, for what you have in store. Right. Right. And it takes a lot to put those guardrails up and what helps about spending that time in the beginning on getting those details down and your vision down and your mission statement down is that time and time and time again, when you start to get lost or inundated or you're looking forward to like this next year, you go back to what you did in the beginning and you can change what you did in the beginning or you can deviate from that. But I always think that that keeps you honest and tried and true and on at least a path. Right. You know, because that's so important and, and that's why you started out and that is what your, you know, your followers are, that's why they're following you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and if they're not, then, you know, you need to do something different, you know, you know, you need to pivot or reinvent or recalibrate. But yeah, I think that, you know, that first year is the hardest and there's all sorts of material out there that you can read and, you know, you need to lean on people though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I think between being a, you know, a horse show mom and a thriving entrepreneur, I think that you have so much knowledge to give to other people. So I thank you so much for taking the time and I wish you all the best in this new year. Bethany, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.